This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Could we just bow our heads and ask God to help us as we open His Word? Lord, we, we thank You for just the sense of Your presence today. And it's been, uh, it's been a good morning. And Father, um, we come to the time now when we're going to open Your Word. Lord, I don't have anything great to say, but Your Word is powerful. And so, Lord, where I may not do a very good job, we know that Your Word won't return void. And I just pray that Your Word would speak to us and that it would just all point to Jesus. We just thank You so much for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. This is part two in our series that we're entitling Being Rich Without Being Wealthy. And, you know, this isn't one of those happy, back-slapping series that, you know, maybe you would think by the title. But we're, uh, we're, we're looking at some things that really get to the core and really have convicted me over the past uh, couple of weeks. Last week we covered some good news and then some bad news. Anybody remember the good news? What we're rich. That's right. And and if you happen to say, Well, I don't feel rich, well that's because you missed last week or you weren't listening. We discovered that if you own a car, you are in the top three percent of the most wealthy people in the entire world. And then if you happen to make thirty three thousand dollars a year or more as a combined household income, you're in the top one percent of wage earners alive today. We're all very blessed. We're, we're rich. That's good news. But then we also learned some bad news last week. What's the bad news? You're rich. We're rich. That's right. And, and uh, you say, well, wait, wait a minute. You said that's good news, but it's also bad news because being rich lessens our, lessens our chances of going to heaven. You know, the Bible says that it's easier for a camel to climb through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to make it to heaven. Not to mention that by being rich, and remember we're all rich, we all have to deal with rich people problems. And you want to know some rich people problems that we encounter? You know, for example, sometimes you ladies can't get a hair appointment at the exact time that you want. That's a rich people problem. Another rich people problem is that maybe our cell phone coverage is weak. Maybe in the bathroom or you know, you can't do business while you're doing business or whatever. And so just not good cell phone coverage there or some other place. Or another rich people problem is that sometimes we order a hamburger and they put pickles on it and we told them not to. Um, or like a couple of weeks ago, they put beef in my burrito instead of chicken. Or this past Tuesday in Bolivar, I went to the hospital to visit someone. And before heading home, I went to Wendy's and I ordered a medium frosty and they gave me a small. That ticked me off. <laughs> now, we laugh at those silly problems, but, but it's amazing how upset we get and how many people are told off because of these kinds of rich people problems. And then, then on the spiritual side of things, last week I said that by being rich, it makes it harder for us to depend on God because of the fact that, uh, you know, we have everything we need. We have enough food and so... I don't have to pray, give us this day our daily bread. 
And then secondly, last week we said that our wealth can distract us and cause us to value pleasure more than worship. And, you know, because of the fact that many of us can afford maybe a cabin or a lake house or season tickets or a camper or vacations or whatever, sometimes we're more focused on having a good time rather than meeting together in the house of the Lord. Well, today as we approach this second lesson in our series, I want to talk to you about being under the influence. You know, if, the re- if you read the paper and the police reports every week, and as I've told you, I, I generally read those reports to see who in my congregation went to jail. Uh, but every week we see people who have been caught driving under the influence. Generally, it's under the influence of alcohol or once in a while under the influence of drugs. And, and uh, you'll be thankful I won't mention any of your names today. But, but today I want to talk to you about being under the influence. But more specifically, under the influence of money. And I want to look at the deceitfulness of wealth. In fact, Jesus used this exact phrase, the deceitfulness of wealth, in Matthew chapter 13, where where he was telling a parable or he was telling a story about a farmer who went out to plant some seeds. And when the plants started growing, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22, the one who received... The seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it and make it unfruitful. Let's talk about that today. Let me try to set the stage uh, for our lesson with a very down-home, simple illustration. Um, Many of you, especially if you have kids... You've probably been to one of those pizza places like Chuck E. Cheese's or isn't there an incredible pizza there in Springfield? I'm sure they've got other other chains like that. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Chuck E. Cheese's, incredible pizza, most of you do. And, and yes, they sell pizza there, but the main attraction is uh, the games that the kids can play. And the games are designed so that if you do well, you can win tickets that look like this. You know what I'm talking about? Just nod your head if, if, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, now, it's confession time in the house of the Lord. If you're like me, and, and I don't like this about me, there are times I, I, I've lamented this, but I'm so driven and so competitive. So that when I go there, here, here's my emotions. Again, this is confession time in the house of the Lord. But when my kids used to play, and now it's my grandkids, but... I get tied up in knots when I see that they're, they're not doing very well and, and they're, they're not getting very many tickets. And so here's what I tend to do. I, I want to help them do well so we can get as many tickets as possible. And so to begin with, I, I kind of hover over their shoulders and, and I try to help them out. But here's what tends to happen. I, I get so involved in the game that I end up pushing them to one side and I take over the game. I mean, here's an opportunity for for us to get 10 tickets and and they're only playing at a level where they're getting one ticket. So I need to help them out. And and so I I will take that little ball. I don't know what it's called, but you know, you got, you roll it up the ramp and you got these big circles, then smaller. And the, the little one is about this size and it's worth 50 points. And so I will push them to one side and I will do that better than they can because, you know what, I'm a world-class athlete. 
And then I will take that little bowling ball and, you know, roll it 15 feet to get more pins because we need more tickets. And then my favorite is to take over the pounding of that poor groundhog. Bang, bang, bang. You know, it pops up different places and I'm pounding that groundhog. And uh, I'm so driven I can't stand to see my grandkids waste an opportunity to get more tickets. Because I grew up like you did, believing that if we can just get enough tickets, then that will give us a prize that will make us happy. Well, at the end of our our, our three hours at Chuck E. Cheese's, where we spent $30 for pizza and another $50 to play those games, and and because, again, because I'm a world-class athlete, I stepped in there and and we've gotten a lot of tickets. We count the tickets. We weigh them out. 694 tickets. And so we proudly take these 694 tickets up to the counter, cash them in, and we get a prize like this. <laughs> and because we had so many tickets, we also get a little bouncy ball and a pin that has eight different colors. I mean, you can't go wrong on a deal like that. $30 for pizza, $50 for tickets, and you get this. And you know, seriously, you, you, you would think that we would learn our lesson, but the next time, we do the same thing. And so it doesn't take long living in America that our kids soon develop the mentality early on that if, if we can just get enough tickets... Tickets, tickets, we want tickets. We will get a prize that will change our lives and bring significance. Well, you know what? We grow up, become adults, and the tickets change. But we begin to believe that if we can just get enough of these tickets... then these tickets right here will make us happy. They will bring significance. They they will make us feel secure. But the problem always is that those tickets promise way more than they can deliver. Just as these 694 tickets at Chuck E. Cheese's make you think that you're going to get something that will make your life better, so do these tickets right here. Make you think that your life will be fulfilled. But the feeling of happiness never lasts. You know, at my desk, uh, in my office, behind my keyboard, I have a couple of old cell phones that I keep, and they're reminders of the past. And, and so I know this is a, a younger crowd as a, hold, a, as a whole, but, you know, I, I remember when the bag phone came out. Any of you ever have a bag phone? Would you raise your hand if you had a bag phone? There, there are a few that have... Weren't the bag phones so cool and, and, and you didn't want to leave them in your car because somebody might steal them and so you would zip it up there and you take it like you were important walking with a bag phone. And, and, uh, and then the rules changed and, and the reception improved and so then I got a candy bar phone. Anybody get a, have a candy bar phone and, and I didn't bring my candy bar phone but I've got it at home. Well, then the thing in thing was a flip phone. I had to have a flip phone. It was so cool. And man, you'd learn to flip it open with just one hand. You can just kind of flip it open like that. And, and so here was my flip phone. And then smartphones came out. And look at this first generation smartphone. You could do this. 
Whoa. And text here. And you know what? This was the old droid. Anybody have an old droid, uh, Motorola droid, first generation? And, and you know, then you, you kept getting smarter and smarter phones. And But you know, the problem with this is that as soon as I would get the latest technology, I would begin studying and looking at when my next upgrade would be available. Because I wanted the newest and the best. Those examples right there illustrate what Satan does to us. He has that unique ability to, to, to cause us to want stuff and, and more and more stuff. And tickets. Tickets. And he brings us under the influence or the grip of things. Now, as we talk about being under the influence of money, I want to share something that I found interesting that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He said this, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And to me, what's interesting is that Jesus didn't say you can't serve both God in power or, or both God in popularity or both God and the devil. He, he said you cannot serve both God and money. Now, now, why do you think Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money? Well, I think it's because money is such an attractive false God. And this is the number one competitor for our hearts. Now, why is money such, a, such an attractive false God? Well, first of all, because... Money promises happiness. You know, we've been programmed to think that if I just had a little bit more in my stack, then I could buy that which would make me happy. And I don't know what it is for you, but maybe for some of you ladies, it's, you feel if you would have a little bit more in your stack, then you could buy the shoes that would match the dress, that would match your glasses, that would match your nail polish, that would match your makeup, that would match the bracelet that you got for 50% off. And the outfit, outfit would be then complete and you'd be happy. Or, or if I only had a little bit more in my stack, then I could have a house with two bathrooms or a third bedroom or I could have a newer car or, or I could have someone help me clean the house. Or if I had more in my stack, then I could get my nails done every week. And I'm talking about you ladies, not guys. Um, and maybe I shouldn't say this. Should I say this, Faith? <laughs> um, you don't know what I'm going to say. But anyway, uh, by the way, ladies, that's okay. My wife gets, gets nervous when I, when I do this stuff. But ladies, it's okay to get your nails done. All right? Go to your local manicurist, get your nails done, support local business, all of that kind of stuff. But, but may I just remind you, when you get your nails done, you don't do it for us. Because guys don't care what color your nails are. I mean, just... The Lord has brought me, sent me here today to just let you ladies know that. And, uh, uh, you know, guys only care that your nails are neat and clean and fairly short. If they're dirty, one is long and another one is short. Another one is chewed off and they've got half worn off nail polish. We notice. Okay, just, just, I, I'm just enlightening you on some stuff here this morning. Uh, but, but frankly, in my 50 some years of wild living, I, I've never heard one guy t- say to another guy, dude, did you see how beautiful her nails were? I just love the way she gets her nails done. I wonder if they're real or I wonder if they're fake. Sorry to tell you, frankly, most of us don't give a rip, okay? And, and I know I'm in deep weeds right now. Lord, help me to get out of these weeds. But, 
Uh, but ladies, go ahead and get your nails done if it'll make you feel better about yourselves. But it's probably not going to impress us either way, okay? Sorry to have to reveal that information to you, but where was I going in this message? Do you remember? <laughs> um, but uh, what, what I was trying to say that we, we feel if we only have this or that or that or that or this, then we would be happy. Well, the second promise of money is that it brings security. You know, a false promise. You know, if I just had enough money to pay off all my debts and have an emergency fund, then I'd feel secure. But let, let me give us just a little reality check. All that has to happen is for someone you love to get really sick. And you realize that money can't ba- buy your way out of that. And then you begin to realize that your security does not come in what money buys, but only in who you are in Christ Jesus. Now, honestly, most of us would recoil a little bit and say, Now, Joe, there are those who serve money, but I don't. Yeah, yeah, I've got my faults, but I would never be under the influence of money. Well, think about this, okay? I would argue that if you bought something that you did not need with money you did not have to impress people you did not like, then you're probably under the influence of money. Or I would also argue that if you've ever compromised your integrity, maybe cheated on your income tax returns, or or if you've downloaded or copied music or a movie that you were not supposed to, or you told your four-year-old, Pretend you're three because at Silver Dollar City you can get in free if you're three, but you have to pay if you're four. If you or we have done any of those things, then we're serving money. And we're under the influence of money. Or how about this? If you've ever compromised your family by working more and more just so you can have a bigger stack then I would argue you are under the influence of money. It's a false God that's promising what only God can provide. Now, we want to go back to the key verse uh, that we read last week, and I told you we would come back to it. In fact, we're going to come back to it in in, in our next lesson. Uh, Paul talking with young Timothy. He was coaching him as a young pastor, and he said this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Tell those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. But their trust should be in the living God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Now, remember, when it says rich people, that's all of us because we're all in the top 1% to 3% of the wealthiest in the world. Continuing on to verse 18, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and should give generously to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. Now, This morning, I want to look at three problems we face when we're under the influence of money. Number one, people who are under the influence or love or or, or love and trust money. Number one, they feel they never have enough. Now, I, I want you to listen very carefully. Don't misquote me. It's okay to want more money. It's okay to better yourself. It's okay to work hard and try to accumulate all that you reasonably can. Now, I do agree with John Wesley when he said, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And I believe that as a wise steward, 
we need to make all the money that we reasonably can. You know, if God has blessed you with the ability of making money, you better make all the money that you reasonably can. But once you come to the point of loving money and, and being so driven to make more at the sacrifice of your family or, or at the sacrifice of your health, or especially at the sacrifice of your spiritual life, then that's an indication that you've crossed the line and you're under the influence of money. And Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes 5.10, says, whoever loves money never has money enough. And if you love money, I, I can promise you that even if your stack grows and grows and grows, you will still feel the need to have a little more than what you currently have. And again, don't misquote me and, and come up to me afterwards and say, Joe, so is it wrong to try to make more money? No. Uh, but I'm talking about loving money. I'm talking about living for money. I'm talking about being under the influence of money. Now, some of you here this morning, you don't feel this applies to you because you don't feel you have very much. But, but I want you to think about this. Even for those of you that don't feel you have very much, if you look back 10 years ago, Many of you would have to say, well, yeah, I guess I do have twice as much today. Maybe not money, but I've got more things. I've got more toys, maybe more kids. Um, and you know what the Bible says? If you have kids, you're rich. Uh, you've got more equity maybe in a car, more equity in your house. Maybe you've got twice what you had 10 years ago. And, and, and here's the question that I want you to think about. Were you happy 10 years ago when you only had half of what you have now? If the answer is no, then you probably are not happy today. And you probably won't be happy 10 years from now when you have three times as much. Because that's the illusion and the deceitfulness of riches. Proverbs 18.11 tells us this, an interesting verse. It says, the wealth of the rich. And again, who, who are the rich? That's us, all of us. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it as an unscalable wall. So in common language, this is saying, if I can just get enough in my stack, then I can buy away the bad things and I can have security. But that's the deceitfulness of riches. Well, let's move on. If it hasn't gotten personal yet, then hang on, because we're going to be an equal opportunity offender today. The second thing is that people who love and trust money... Uh, and are under the influence of money, they find it increasingly difficult to give big. This is convicting. It's been proven over and over again in studies that the wealthier people become, on average, they begin to give a smaller percentage. In fact, do you want to know, on average, here in America, do you want to know who gives the largest percentage to the church? Those who make below $12,000 a year. Let me just say that again. According to studies, those who give the largest percentage on average make below $12,000 a year. Those who make the least give the highest percentage. And obviously, there are some exceptions. We have some here. There, 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 there are some incredibly godly people, people of means, 
And they've kept their percentage up high. But, but as a whole, and, and, and just for example, this church building, this uh, $2.2 million building that we paid off almost a year ago, we had just a handful of lar- larger donors, not very many, but this church was basically paid off with regular people like you, like me, all of us doing our part month after month after month. And, and I don't know the reason why the more money we make, we give a less percentage. Maybe it's one that, you know, sometimes the more money we make, we can write off a bunch of legal deductions, which is good. The IRS allows it, and I encourage it. But it makes our bottom line look like we didn't make any money or very little money. And, and, and again, the IRS is fine with that. But, but I sometimes wonder how God feels about that when it comes to giving back to Him. And then I also wonder if it's maybe the perception in our, in our minds. You know, if we make $20,000 a year, the tithe ends up being how much? $2,000. Dividing that over 12 months, it's $166 a month. That, that sounds doable. But, but if we happen to make $200,000, the, the tithe on that would be how much? $20,000. And dividing that out, that's $1,600 a month. That sounds like a bunch of money. And you would think that the more money we make, we would be glad and more able to be generous. But it doesn't work that way. Seems that we get stingier and stingier in our giving as God blesses us with more. Now, I want us to understand in Scripture that Jesus is not concerned about the amount that we give. Jesus is more concerned about the percentage and the motive of the heart rather than the total of the amounts. And, and we read one day where, where a very poor widow who had practically nothing to her name, she went to the temple and, and put an amount in the offering. It was like two pennies. And Jesus was like, whoa, that was impressive. And in fact, Jesus went on and said she gave more than anybody else. And, and there were some wealthy people there who... Dollar-wise, they gave far more, but a less of a percentage. And, and they were mad, and they said, Wait a minute, Jesus, you're messed up in your math. Two pennies is more than what we gave? No way! Jesus said the difference is she gave her all. He was looking at the sacrifice involved. And what I believe Jesus wants from all of us today is not equal amounts, but rather equal sacrifice. You know, God's not asking us to uh, all give the same thing, but, but He's asking those of us with large incomes uh, as well as those with small incomes to give equal sacrifice, which means that for some here, it's going to push them to give 50 bucks. That's a sacrifice. But then for others, the equal sacrifice might actually equate to be $5,000. Not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. And, and I was thinking about that this past week. How could this lady with no stack at all? I mean, she didn't have a stack like this. How could she give all she had? Let me tell you why. Because she wasn't trusting in her stack. She was trusting in her Jesus. And something else what we tend to often say is, well, I'll give when. You know, I'll give when the credit card is paid down and I'll give when we get the raise and... I'll give when we get the house paid down and, and I'll give when we get the kids on their own. And Listen, 
we need to give now because we're blessed now. And, and I want our church to, to lead the, the way with generosity. I, I, I want us to be a giving church and not only as individuals, but as a church and in, in, our, in our budget. And last year you gave about $50,000 towards missions. This year, I think we can do better, and we're on track to do better, even better than that this year. You know, I, I want to be a generous church, and, and I'm not talking about just, you know, frivolously throwing away money, and no, no, no. This needs to be strategic and, and prayerfully, but I want to give in a way that will make a difference in people's lives, because we're rich. We've been blessed by God. And, and the third thing. People who are under the influence of money often have money in the bank, but no peace in their heart. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, Joe, I have less than 100 bucks in my account right now. Well, you may not have a lot of money in your account, but take a look, look around your house. You've probably got plenty of stuff. Probably some big boy toys. Maybe some, uh, maybe plenty of clothes in the closet. Undoubtedly, plenty of food in the cabinets. And sometimes we think that, you know, it's just the wealthy that are the most materialistic. But I found that those of us who may not have a lot of money in the bank, sometimes we're so focused on stuff. Solomon in Proverbs 15, 16 said something that is such an important principle. Said, it is better to have little with fear for the Lord than to have great treasure with turmoil. In other words, it's better to have a little bit with a lot of God than to have a lot of stuff with a little bit of God. You know, I read about a man who's, he, he, he's a good man from what I understand, and he, he manages wealth for some of the wealthiest people alive. And, and I'm, I'm talking about billionaires, and probably none of us would qualify here this morning unless you're holding out on me. But uh, what, what he does is to try, try to help them create a legacy so that their wealth can impact organizations and people for generations to come. And uh, so someone was interviewing him and, and said, you know what, you work with people of great wealth. And um, he said, is it always a blessing to have great wealth? Or, or do the challenges sometimes for wealthy people outweigh the blessings? And, and he just began sh shaking his head. And he said, you, you can't even imagine. The challenges are, are, are more challenging than you could ever imagine. And he said, you can't imagine how hard, how difficult it is for these wealthy people, for these billionaires. And, and then there was a follow-up question, and, and that person said, okay, and this is very powerful. He said, if you personally could have the kind of wealth that these billionaires have, would you want it? And here's what he answered. He said, absolutely not. Not in a million years. Never, ever, ever would I want that kind of wealth. Now, when I tell you that, here's what some of you in your mind, you're thinking, okay, well, I'd like to have a chance to find out if I would want it or not. Or you would say, I'd like to have some of the problems of a billionaire. And the reason we think that is because we still don't believe what the Bible says. It's better, that better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with great turmoil. Because as we've already said, the great wealth, with great wealth comes problems and it's harder to depend on God and it distracts you away from true priorities. Now let's, let's bring it down even closer to home here as we kind of hit the home stretch. 
None of us here probably are billionaires. But do you realize that many of us here are making more than our parents ever made? Yet we're still financially strapped. I mean, have you ever thought about that? We're we're making more money than we've ever made before, but we can't ever seem to get ahead. And, And there are different reasons. One, I know that, you know what, it's tough today. Things are so expensive. You've got just the cost of living. You've got insurance that's just ridiculous and and uh, I, I understand that today it takes a lot of money to just exist. But I also wonder if one of the biggest reasons we're always strapped financially is because we're consuming most everything that God gives us on ourselves. You know what happens? We make a dollar, we spend a dollar. We make $20, we spend $20. We get a bonus, we make $1,000, we spend $1,000. We get money back from our income tax, we spend it. Do you realize there are some people at this church... They make a third of what some of us make. They're not strapped financially. And they look at us, kind of scratching their heads, trying to figure out why we're so troubled financially making so much money. You know, they've come to realize that it's better to live on less and not buy into the deceitfulness of riches. And they've learned that they don't always have to have the latest of everything. They don't have to have cable. Do you realize that? You can exist without cable. Did you know that? For some of you, you need to understand that. These people have learned that they don't have to have the latest gadgets. They don't have to eat out. or they. I know I'm infringing on some comfort zones, but they don't have to buy a soft drink every day. They realize they don't have to have the best wheels or the best furniture. They... They've realized that smoking and drinking, it's expensive and not to mention harmful to their health. They've learned they don't have to keep up with everybody else. They've learned that their contentment is not found in tickets and what tickets can buy. But their contentment is found in Jesus Christ. And really, uh, more money is not going to keep your kids off of drugs. You realize that this morning? More money is not going to keep your kids off of drugs. More money is not going to make your marriage better. If you don't love each other when you don't have money, you're not. Uh, I mean, you're going to fight about money when you do have money. More money is not going to cure the person as well. The person you love of cancer. More Jesus is what we need. Because more Jesus brings intimacy. You know, it brings focus. It brings a purpose to life. It brings the divine into this messed up world. See, 
what we need is more Jesus in this world. But yet, you know, what do we do? We're chasing after the American dream, giving our all, trying to make more and more. And again, it's not wrong to make more and more, but sometimes that's our obsession. That's what we live for. You see, money is neutral. Money's not good, money's not bad. Sometimes we think that money is bad. No, money's neutral, it's not good, it's not bad. But money does make a bad God. So we don't serve money. We serve God. And and then money can serve us as we serve God. And this morning, could I just tell you, don't walk around with, you know, a bunch of money and a bunch of stuff. And be empty in your heart because that's that right there is what matters today it's what matters for eternity your stack can get bigger and bigger and bigger but if you don't have Jesus in your heart my friend you're going to be of all men and all women most miserable so I'm not telling you to quit trying to make money no you make as much money as you reasonably can but money makes a terrible God but Jesus makes an amazing Savior to us so this as we wrap things up today here's what I'd like to see us as a church I'd like to just begin to uh, put as much passion into seeking God as we seek things I'm in a class on Wednesday nights and it's a David Platt series and I've been so convicted during that series. And you know what? Here's what we do. Here's, here's what we hide behind when we hear about, you know, giving to God and giving about, you know, giving generously to other people. Here's what my mind does. And here's what some of you do as well. Well, I don't want to give to them because they're going to use the money for drugs. And I, you know, my giving to them is just going to enable them. And so we hide behind these little cliches. And I'm not saying you need to just throw money over there. But sometimes we begin to feel spiritual because of these little cliches. And honestly, I haven't figured out. I'm not smart enough to know how to sort through that stuff. But I believe that God, whenever we truly develop a heart that yearns for Him and a heart that loves people... A heart that's generous. I believe he's going to begin giving us wisdom, who to help, how to help, what to do. And so I'm just, uh, I'm encouraging you as a church to be a generous church. Not equal amounts, but equal sacrifice. And I know for some of you, you're saying, oh, pastor, I don't know how in the world I want to do this. I'm so strapped. I can't even, I can't even buy a ticket. I understand there are a lot of complications, but I believe when we begin to seek Jesus with all of our heart, with a passion and a burden, that God is going to just help us sort through things. Would you bow your heads, please, as we pray together? Oh, God, I I ask that you would help us. Lord, as Americans, we are so, we're so rich, we're so blessed. And God, I pray that you would begin to help us to... uh, value those things that last forever Lord just as our cell phones Lord they last for a little while for a season but Father we're just constantly upgrading and that's the way it is whenever we seek things that turn to rust and dust 
But I pray that we would seek Jesus. Lord, I pray that this week, and it's going to be hard for some of us, some of us because we've developed some patterns, but I pray that we would seek you with as much passion as we do the things of this earth. And so, God, I don't know what you're going to do with us as a church. I don't know what for sure you're going to do with me, but I know as I'm, I'm trying to make some shifts in my mentality these days. And I pray, God, that you would help me to just value those things that will last forever. And God, I pray for these people. I love these people. And, and I just pray that as we go from here, God, I know what happens. After two hours, the average person doesn't have a clue what was preached. And Lord, that doesn't matter because what I preached wasn't important. But Lord, let your Holy Spirit and your word just continue to bring up in our minds those things that we need to focus on. And so God, I pray that throughout this week, we would be just very close to you. <clears throat> I thank you once again, Lord. We love you and we, we thank you for what you're going to do in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Before I say the final amen, just in your heart and mind, if you are willing to make sure that God, God is first in every part of your life, would you just, you don't need to say anything out loud, but just say, God, I'm in. I'm going to follow you. Father, we pray these things, these favors, in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you for coming. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.